Yeah, I can't forget the alarm there, that alarm like that. Welcome, everyone. You are back with Stock Market Live. Oh, man. What a great day. What a great week. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Market's going out. Crazy. Crazy. Now it's not the story, but insane week. Insane week. We'll dive into it for sure. All right, let's see who we have joining us today. Alfonso, Anna, Brian, Camille, Chris, Robert, Sam, Sergey. Saye's back as well. William, Ziv, great to see all of you here today. We love you guys coming to hang out with us on this East Coast lunch hour. We know you guys tune in from all around the world. Um, by the way, Austin, did you know I was looking through this? We have people in France. We have people in Germany. We have people down in Mexico. We have people all over the world that come and watch the show and hang out with us during this hour. Did you know that? Wow. Wow. How cool is that, right? That's incredible. I got to say, that's, all those that's, we love having you all here, obviously. So we've got a, we've got a full pack show today. We're going to dive in. We got a stock that we're diving into that um, has been around for quite a long time. And it was actually emailed to us last week after last week's show from Norm. Appreciate you, Norm. Thanks for tuning in and watching, hanging out and Shout giving out us the Norm. stock idea. Uh, he says something, you know, he's a dividend investor and we should probably show some love to dividend investors. And this stock has a crazy dividend. We'll get into that here shortly. Other than that, we've got Lewis Stevens joining us here, uh, probably at the bottom of the hour. He is from Beating the Market, found on Seeking Alpha. It's another marketplace service. We're going to dive into him. Uh, dive in with him about some stocks that he's been writing and covering about and some stocks that he likes right now. But to kick things off right now, I got to mention that I don't know if you guys were here last week. We had Chris and Muth. This guy's call on Twitter. Did he nail it or did he nail it? I mean, come he, on. Oh my guy. goodness. Oh my gosh. I mean, so, so if you guys don't know Chris, maybe we weren't here last week. Uh, he's all about figuring out these arbitrage type spread plays, right? He kind of realizes, okay, here's what the definitive agreement is saying, or here's what the merger is saying. Like, like, here's where we should be going. Here's where we are today. And here's what that return would look like if we hit those metrics, right? We actually go through with, uh, you know, what, what the news is saying, what's going to happen. And obviously we've been seeing, you know, Elon tweet about, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The, the spam bots are in what's going on with this. Like it's been all over the place, but Chris said, Hey, listen, let's buy, call it next summer. We'll know that, that Twitter is going to get purchased. He, he was talking about Delaware, the judges, the, all this fun stuff. And, and he was right. He was spot on. Correct. We saw yesterday come out. Elon pretty much said, Hey, let's, let's, let's roll with it. And uh, it was actually pretty interesting. I'll let you guys laugh at me here a moment. Um, so Chris shared with us that he bought some call options, $47 strike price call options. June expiration of next year. Yeah. Yeah. So June of next year, um, which I'm sure have done well. I actually followed him on that trade, but for whatever reason, under the sun, I decided uh, an hour before it was announced yesterday that I was going to sell mine. And it was about, I think it was maybe $700 or $800 worth of, of these uh, contracts. But yeah, I sold it an hour before it was announced. I probably even ate you know, a little bit of a loss on the sale too. But it was, just, I don't know what came over me. I guess Man, I, just, I mean, you're talking about like a missed out of like 200% gain at least. I mean, that was just, that is his ARB alpha trade. I mean, this guy has nailed it. He dives into the litigation and he just brought everything to you guys. Um, if anybody joined him on that trade, will you let us know in the chat? I'm just kind of curious. Um, of course, everybody on social media that's watching as well. If you were here last week, you would have heard Chris say the same thing. If you listen on the podcast, but I mean, we are 
giving you opportunities here. We're this doing it right do here, this. Daniel, right here. This is what I love. And I'm glad that you guys are all here hanging out with us. Now, um, before I forget, I need to mention to everybody that on October 11th, next Tuesday at 1, or sorry, 2 p.m., I believe it is, me and Mike Saul, Mike Saul, the legendary Mike Saul, who has been on the program as well before here at Seeking Alpha, we are doing an earnings webinar. Obviously, we all know that earnings are kicking off next Friday, starting with the banks. We're going to dive into some alpha for you that Seeking Alpha has put together a screener. We're going through a couple of names to get you prepared for earnings season. So join us next Tuesday, 2 p.m., October 11th. Put it on your calendars. Uh, and if Josh, Josh, I believe is in the... By the way, everybody, you, you got to tell happy birthday to Josh. It's his birthday. We appreciate everything he happy does in the back for us. Happy birthdays in the chat us. for Josh. Happy birthday, Happy birthdays Josh. for Josh. Hanging chat. out, making sure that this show runs smoothly, helping us with the slides. We love you, Josh. We appreciate you, man. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, please put that earnings webinar link in the chat so everybody can join us next Tuesday. Now let's dive into uh, our favorite little game that we've got on the program. It is time for bullish or bearish initial thoughts let's go Austin. you want to kick things off i'll kick things off and and i feel like we're it's kind of funny i was i had a friend today you guys know i'm a big tiktok guy right so i had a friend today send me a video that i had already liked because it was already on my for you page which means that we're looking at the same stuff so daniel i feel like you and i were probably looking at the same stuff so we might have a little bit of overlap here on uh, on this bullish or bearish but i want to kick things off right daniel i gotta know are you bullish or bearish on the Google Pixel event, right? North America, Google smartphone shipments are up 230%. They've doubled market share year over year. Are you bullish or bearish on these Google Pixels? Man, I think about Google, bullish or bearish. I mean, as long as they're continuing to hold on to their market share with these cell phones, I'd be bullish on it. I'm personally an iPhone guy, right? I'm in the Apple ecosystem. I probably will never go to the Pixel in my life. Same here. Um, as long as they can keep, you know, batteries from exploding like in the past and having issues in that regard and, and being able to figure some things out, they might they might have a good product there. I'd be bullish. He's bullish. Okay. I was actually with a friend this weekend. And to your point, I'm an iPhone guy as well. I've got every, all my friends. You know, if you have a green text bubble, I'm kind of mad at you off the rip. I just don't mm. want to talk to you. Uh, but I was with a guy this weekend. I was I was speaking over at Duke University to their student athletes about like money management. And um, my friend Kyle was there and he's like, hey, man. Uh, check out this new phone I got. And it was one of the cool new pixels. And I'm like, I'm just really surprised that someone my age is bragging about getting a pixel. I don't know. It was, it just kind of threw me off, but Hey, good for him. Good for the pixels. And uh, let's move on to the next question. So at least it's Daniel, not the razor, you... right? We're not bringing back the razor. Oh my God. What about the sidekicks? Remember those a little, like the oh. ones that like flipped around. Those are the days. Oh yeah. All right. Bullish or bearish on Ray Dalio stepping down from Bridgewater. Is it a coincidence? Was it planned? Like what's going on here in your mind? Uh, I'd be bullish in regards to the firm. Um, I think Ray, I mean, look, he came out earlier this week, even talking about how he's turned his conviction, which bravo to him, by the way, right? Just because we're investing for the long term or, or, you know, midterm swing traders, whatever it might be, the ability for somebody to change their opinion on a trade or on a stance of their thesis when things change is what we should all be wanting to do, right? So he came out at the beginning of this week, said, hey, US dollar, you know, I said cash is trash. I don't really believe that anymore, right? Um, he might have been super late with how the dollar has exploded to the upside, as we know, but the ability for him to have the uh, lack of ego behind his conviction and come out and change his mind is applauding 
when it comes to the industry that we're in. And then I think for Bridgewater, this company, this firm that has been built on opinions and, and bringing people together and validating ideas and, and debating the pros and cons of your arguments in an open, more setting, um, which I don't know if you've ever researched this, like they have a whole uh, a software system with inside the firm where as somebody is presenting, they kind of like judge them and their thesis and everything else is crazy. Um, I think it'll be bullish for the firm overall, though. Cool. Yeah. And you know, to your point of like changing your sort of thesis there and being, you know, having the lack of ego to say, hey, I don't have this idea anymore, or, you know, my thesis is broken. I'm going to change what I said. You know, Bill Ackman did that with Netflix, right? I think at the turn of the year, uh, coming into 2022, he had this big $400 million position in the company. And then he said, hey, I'm out. This isn't going to work anymore. And he lost, maybe he lost 400 million. I don't know what it was, but he lost a bunch of money. But if he had held, it was, it would, it would have been a nightmare, right? So I think, uh, you know, I think moving away from egos is a, is a, is a huge thing for sure. And also you got to think about Ray, Ray Dalio has been writing his books. He, I don't know if you've been on YouTube, but he loves to every once in a while target people with his, uh, I think it's like a 30 minute video that he put about the changing world order where he, yeah, that was actually that, a really well executed video. It's a great video. I love whoever does his animation and and helps him, you know, with the script and and just I mean it's so well done. I love watching those and the, how the economy works and the economic cycles and everything, but I think he's got his focus more on maybe just pushing his book and his belief about this changing world order that's happening beneath us right now is what he claims. Um is it actually going to come to fruition? We'll have to see. Obviously, uh, he's a lot older than we are, so we'll be around to see what happens next. But uh, yeah, time will tell. Yeah, I remember my friend Christian told me about it uh, yesterday. He's like, yeah, have you seen your know, radiologist up and down? And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's like good or bad. And I was like, wait, hold on. How old is this guy? You know, I feel like if you're in your 50s or 60s and you're stepping down, well, not, you still got another season in front of you. But the guy's 73 years old. You know, he's, it's, it may, maybe it's his time. So, all right, cool. Last one to ask you, Daniel. Are you bullish or bearish on Elon Musk's everything app? Every X, everything X, app X. X. I was just X. reading about it. So he still has X.com, right? And he wants this everything app. Now, the thing that I'm kind of curious about, and, is, and he says this with this Twitter acquisition, it might help him get three to five years ahead uh, instead of just starting the app by himself at, from the, the ground up, is, is he trying to become Neo? The, the EV car company that's over in China, right? Where it's like Neo has an app and it's the culture and you go on the app and then you go to their buildings where they have secret hangout clubs that only Neo people can get into. Like, is he just trying to steal that kind of business model because there was so much hype? Did you hear about this? No, that's just interesting. When you said Neo, I thought you were talking about the Matrix. And I'm like, I could totally see Elon Musk being in the Matrix. But uh, no, I, I have not seen that. So what's going on with that? Yeah, Neo. So they, they, that's the culture. That's the brand. That's the cool thing about owning a Neo EV car, besides the fact that they can swap out the battery. So you don't have to wait around for half an hour to charge your electric vehicle. They've built this culture where it's like people wear the Neo swag. People go to these Neo only events. Like you have to have a, a Neo car in order to go in these buildings and, and do all this stuff. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what he wants to do as well. Cause I'm like, what else can this X everything app become? Is it supposed to replace Amazon? You know what I mean? Like, is it going to get you into, you know, concerts and venues like that? If you're going to have your ticket on, like, that's where I'm a little confused. I, now that you mentioned it like that, I, I, I definitely could see that happening. Right. I mean, there's something to be had. I, obviously we all know, um, what are those things? Soho house, right. There's like Soho houses all over, all over the country. And there's one that just opened up here in Nashville. 
and yeah, around the world rather. Um, and one just opened up here in Nashville and everyone's, you know, oh, I want to be a part of that. Oh, what'd they do for 4th of July? What are they doing for Halloween? How do I get inside of that? Oh, I'd so spend that money. Let me do that. You know, it's like a, kind of, it's a feeling, right? And, and now that you kind of wrap it into this Neo idea, I could totally see where, oh, because you have a Tesla car and now because, you know, generally speaking, the, the Model 3 is much more affordable now than Tesla's were 10 years ago, right? It's like now that you're a part of this club, not only can you talk with other people in the club, maybe it's like a networking thing, but maybe it's also like free payment exchange, maybe ta- like, I don't know, tons of different like ways that you can go about this. But I, I could totally see this as being a massive marketing driver, a catalyst to sell more Teslas, right? At the end of the day, that's kind of like what, where this is headed. Um, I'm excited to learn more about it. I, I feel like this guy is, uh, there's just so much that he's thought about that I've listened to on pot, for example, a full send podcast. I'm not the biggest fan of like their brand and stuff, but like I listen to anything that Elon talks on. So that was a really interesting podcast. And just like hearing what Elon says, how he approaches problems and like what his biggest focuses are today is incredibly interesting to me as someone who's 26 and trying to figure it out. Yeah, no kidding. But also it's like, is he going to spread himself too thin, right? I mean, he's, we all know that he's, I mean, yeah, he's still involved with Tesla, but he's more involved with SpaceX right now, right? Like eventually that might change. But Tesla seems to have figured out the plan and, and figured out their system of, of using robots and factories and, and finally figured out a factory deployment system that works. And he kind of hands it off to the people over there to just continue to run it. Um, and of course, he's going to step in and try to do what he can to, to continue to keep it top of mind because he it arguably is the marketing department of that company, right? They don't spend money on marketing. Um, so I think overall, you asked about the app, I'd probably be bearish on it. I don't know how long it would actually take to come to fruition. Um, but this Twitter acquisition might be the first step, but I really wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I think to that point too, like, I feel like there's a lot of people that just hate billionaires, right? That just, oh, I hate Elon, not because of who he is or anything he stands for, but the fact that he's so rich, I feel like people just have that ingrained in them. And if he launches this sort of new everything app, there's going to be people who, despite the app having would you know theoretically provide value to them as a user are just not going to use it because it was made by Elon Musk and they don't want to support like this larger you know capitalism type you're a billionaire type thing right so I feel like that is definitely going to be a thing where with Twitter that's not the case I think it's really the opposite right now with Twitter um and then also too though to kind of like you know push against that I'd imagine that the Tesla, Elon Musk fanboys and diehards are going to support anything he does and so that will be um bullish on that aspect for sure bullish on that yeah. aspect also if you have an everything app isn't that the same thing of if, if we're taking the word everything from its definition right isn't that a monopoly and do you think the government would really allow that to happen right like you already see yeah. how congress yeah. and senate and everybody's already attacking big tech for all the acquisitions they make because they're trying to do everything and so if he's trying to do the exact same thing isn't he smart enough to know that you can't have everything controlled by one person that's monopoly Hundred percent, and I mean, if you think about it too, it's like you know, isn't Facebook sort of an everything app, right? I mean, it's social. It's also like buying stuff and shopping. It's like photos. It's like you know, like their whole ecosystem, right? I feel like that's very everything-ish. So, who knows what's going on? But uh, okay, so he's bearish on it. Got it. Bearish. Yep. All right, let's move over to you. So, first one I got up. I don't know if you saw this. I got to know though. Um, so, American Airlines CEO Robert Isom testified on Monday that his airline needed needed a partnership with JetBlue because Delta Airlines had more takeoff and landing rights at New York airports, as well as fewer unionized workers. So 
bullish or bearish on let's go with American Airlines and this scenario they're in. So I'm generally bearish on anything with an airline at all, because from the perspective of, and we're talking about financials, right? Like I just, there are too many different variables that lead into what could become bad earnings reports. So, I mean, we're thinking about weather, you can't control that. Thinking about oil prices to, to run these things, you can't control that. The demand of people to wanna to travel, you can't control that, right? I just, I think in general, there's just too many variables for airlines to like get excited about. Um, but the idea of American Airlines trying to pull this off, I, I just, I don't know, generally just still bearish on, on American Airlines, Delta, all of it. I, I just not, move it away from me, I do not care. I agree with you, man. I mean, look, as you mentioned, airlines are probably one of the least investable sectors out there. And, you know, even Warren Buffett tried it and he sold everything, right? Whether it's Boeing with manufacturing of planes or the actual airlines themselves. Like you said, there's just too many variables. I agree with you on that, even though I'm a Delta brat nowadays. Because Are you really? One. Yeah, my wife switched me into one. But um, love Delta. But I would not invest in the company. Just too many variables, like you're saying. All right, let's move on. So I don't know if you saw this. Sure you did. Yesterday, we got the Jolts jobs numbers, right? They came out. Number of open jobs has decreased. Now there is roughly only 1.7 jobs per every unemployed person, bullish or bearish. I'm still bearish, man. I think that at the end of the day, like, and, you know, we kind of fast forward six, nine, maybe 12 months. I, I don't know when a bottom is going to be, right? But generally speaking, like, I think that there's still going to be a lot of sort of tightening of budgets that hasn't yet happened, right? I think a lot of people are sitting in their boardrooms right now saying, we didn't make as much money as we thought we were going to make in Q3 or, you know, Q4 is not looking as bright as we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year or like next year, those contracts didn't renew. Like what's going on, right? I just, I feel like there's a lot of conversations right now happening in boardrooms of people who are disappointed with their company's performance, which means that they are not going to be doing those big marketing efforts. They're not going to be doing maybe these salesy things or ABC XYZ to expand the company because they don't have it in their budget anymore. Therefore, they will not be able to put out these open position, come work for us type things. Uh, and, and I think that's going to continue to decrease. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong because I want everyone to have great, prosperous and, and fruitful jobs and, and, and great careers. But just the way that things are shaping up from my side of it, um, I just I just don't think that that's going to be the case for the coming three to six, maybe nine months. So bearish. Good take. Good take. All right, Austin, I got to know. You teed yourself perfectly up for this one, actually. Um, so I don't know if you saw this earlier, uh, a few days back, actually, probably about a week ago, Meta's very own Zuckerberg came out and announced hiring freezes as well as a possible restructuring that might come to the company, bullish or bearish. So, oh gosh, I just, as, as a 26 year old who hates Facebook, who hates Instagram and who's never used WhatsApp a day in his life, I have nothing to be excited about with Facebook, right? Zero. I just, meta in general, right? There's nothing I'm excited about. I did meet though, and when I was at Duke University this weekend, their, uh, their head of like NIL. So apparently Facebook's trying to do a big push with like NIL athletes and help them navigate, you know, what that looks like both on Instagram, hook them up with different types of campaigns, things of that nature. I feel like that might be a little cool, but I don't think the total addressable market there is enough to move the needle for the company. Um, to that point, I mean, I think Google had a similar approach and I want to say Microsoft did too. It's like, I feel like everyone's kind of, you know, tightening up their budgets and people are saying, hey, remote work is not driving company culture the way we want it to. 
And in times of uncertainty, we need the troops to be feeling good. We need people to be productive as possible. And I think the first people to go will be those remote, re remote workers, uh, if that's with Facebook or you know Google, Microsoft, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, Facebook, I just not... I don't know. I'm just, I just I just think that's going to be a trend for the next three, six, nine months. I, I don't think this is going to turn around anytime soon. And, and I think it's uh, people haven't even begun to see the worst of it, unfortunately. Oof. All right. Still bearish on meta. There we go. That's the take. That's your initial thoughts. And this goes on. Let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. This is a fun time. This is a fun one. So everybody's joining us today. I see Brian. I see James, John, Kevin, Mark, all you guys are here. So we're going to play a little game called Guess the Stock. And this is going to see us up right into Norm's stock that he pitched us last week via email. So Guess the Stock, get in the chat. If you think you know what it is, let us know, and then we'll tell you what it is at the very end. So to start things off, this large cap company is a part of the Dow Jones Index. Ooh, that cuts it down very easy, right? One out of the 30. Uh, and actually, this year, it is one of the dogs of the Dow. It employs over 88,000 people. It was founded in 1902. This company is number 102 currently on the Fortune 500 list. Last year, this company brought in over $35 billion in revenue. Starting to see some people pop up in the chat with some stock ideas here. This company is a dividend king, not aristocrat, a king, meaning that it has paid and grown their dividend for more than 50 years. Think about that, 50 years of growing and paying your dividend. In May of 2014, this company had received its 100,000th patent. Another company completely on the board of innovation. It is king of tape, not stock market tape, but obviously the rather transparent tape and more. It was started as the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company as the original name, but now we refer to it as, I think John's got it, Mmm, I see it twice. Stephanie's in there. Mm, Christian there you said go. it. Christian said it. Everybody's there. 3M. 3M. Great job, everybody. Obviously, this side. Did you know that 100,000 patents for this company? I didn't know it was 100,000. I, I knew it was tens it's of well, thousands. It's well over 100,000 now. This company gets like 4,000 additional patents every year. It's ridiculous wow. what this company is doing. So... We're going to dive into 3M stock pitched to us by Norm via email. Obviously, if you have a stock that you want us to go through, you can pitch it to us as well at stockmarketlive at seekingalpha.com is the email address. Now, Austin, I would love, can you give the people a little breakdown of what the 3M company does? I'd, I'd be happy to. But before I do that, Daniel, I just, my ears pricked up. What, what did you say were the M's that, that go into the name of 3M? I did not know that. What Originally, was that? this company was called Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. And it was actually a company started by like doctors and lawyers and a couple of just wealthy individuals came together. They found this plot of land in Minnesota where they were supposed to, I forget the name of the, the material they were mining. They were mining the material that was used in sandpaper. And they started with the sandpaper as a product. But originally, when they first started mining, it turned out to be the wrong material. And so their sandpaper never actually got made. They had to bring in another investor. The story is crazy. But eventually, they came around, they had a solid product, and it just grew from there. And now they do $30 billion a year. $30 billion plus. Okay, that that right there is a clip if I've ever seen one. We should we should clip that part out. That was good. Um, all right, so you know, a big request shout out to Norm, right? 
And shout out to everyone who's always pitching us cool stock ideas. I think we had Boeing, we've had shipping companies, we've had uh, we've had tons of companies. So continue with your ideas. We'd love to dive deep into them and happy to you know show you the good stuff and the bad stuff every single week. So request we got last week uh, was 3M. So we're going to do exactly that. We're going to jump into 3M. And before you all doze off, right? Oh, 3M's Dow, you know, dogs of the Dow, right? This company is actually being valued by the market in one of the most peculiar and unpredictable fashions in its history. So let's start with who is 3M. With $30 billion in annual sales, 3M employs 88,000 people worldwide and produces more than 55,000 products. This includes adhesives, abrasives, laminates, passive fire protection, dental and orthodontic products, electronic materials, medical products, car care products, electric circuits, and optical films, among another 55,000 different things, right? Um, 3M has operations in more than 65 countries, including 29 international companies with manufacturing operations and 35 companies with laboratories. 3M products are available for purchase through distributors and retailers, uh, as well as online directly from the company. So we all know what the company does. I'm sure you've seen their brands. I mean, you, you know what a post-it note is. You know what scotch tape is, right? But what's been going on with their stock price since 2018? Why has it fallen so much? And how has that impacted that dividend? So the company went from trading around 17 times price to earnings from about 2010 to 2016 to experiencing an absolute run up to 28 times price to earnings in 2018, which was catalyzed by above average growth, which was much higher than the 17 times sort of average. Then in Q1 of 2019, they shared with their investors that they were experiencing significant growth challenges and were undergoing a restructuring process, which included laying off 2,000 people. They downwardly revised top and bottom line estimates, which sent their stock price into a well-deserved correction. Earnings per share was also specifically impacted by litigation-related charges, which was sort of foreshadowing as to what was to come for the company. Throughout 2019, while they you know, underwent this restructuring season, the company's revenue declined 2%, gross profits declined 6.5%, and their earnings declined 16%. But you know, throughout all this, throughout all this turbulence, and we all know this, that dividend was still paid and still raised even higher. And for those of you that might not be familiar with the dividend, 3M has been paying a dividend for the last 63 years, paying and raising a dividend for the last 63 years, about a 5% CAGR uh, over the last five years. Uh, and the payout ratio is now hovering around 60%, but there was a longstanding phase where that payout ratio was in like the high 40s, mid 50s. So throughout 2020, we saw the company generally perform well. The revenue remained flat, but gross profits ex expanded 4%. Net profits expanded 20%. So they're now back above that 2018 high. Whenever they saw that big you know, catalyst momentum, the restructuring seemed to have worked a little bit. This financial momentum propelled their stock price back up to about 20 times price to earnings, peaking at 22 times price to earnings last summer before a violent 44% sell-off where they're trading at today. So what happened? Uh, it all started in their Q3 2021 earnings report. We saw flat EPS growth year over year, deteriorating gross operating and net margins, and a clear inability to offset inflationary headwinds, which was something their competitors, aka Honeywell, 
had already begun doing pretty well. Uh, and, and down went 3M stock because of it. This selling was then exacerbated by the recent litigation risk with their military combat earplugs. I, I think John mentioned it here, beware of the earplug yeah. litigation. You're, you're absolutely right, John. So um, what had happened is 3M is now facing 230,000 lawsuits accusing them of selling defective earplugs to the U.S. military. And I think just the other day, 3M was tried in a bankruptcy court and they lost, now forcing them to find another way through this massive litigation, which is going to be trials, appeals, and settlements, right? So dollar amount paid out so far has been 250 million with 70 million of that going to a single plaintiff. But some analysts are saying they could be on the hook for up to $33 billion. Uh, 3M proposed about a billion to settle it all, but they were kind of laughed at. Um, so here's the deal with the company, right? With all that being said, all this litigation stuff, like the company's fundamental business is generally fine. Growth of like three to four, maybe 5%. Uh, Kager through 2026 is on the table, but these external factors are impacting the business, AKA this $33 billion litigation, uh, which is making it really hard for the market to price this in. So you either believe 3M is gonna go bankrupt because of these lawsuits, or you believe 3M is not gonna go bankrupt because of these lawsuits. Right now, the market's stuck in the middle. They're trading about 11 times price to earnings compared to this multi-decade multi average of like 18 times. And they're only trading at 10 times price to operating cash flow compared to about 15 times, uh, so, which is making them now offer a 5.2% forward dividend yield, which is insane if you've been following 3M stocks since, I don't know, 2002, right? It's also worth noting that... Um, that some of the largest product liability awards have been dramatically reduced even after they've, they've kind of come to uh, fruition. So that could Josh, also be on the table. Josh, can you throw up that first slide? Actually, I think people need, you should break this down because you found this and you, you sent it over. I want to make sure that people see this on that point. Look yeah, at yeah. these so, award amounts and then they got reversed. Exactly, right? So it's, it's worth noting that the largest product liability rewards in the history, nearly all of them have been either reversed reduced by 50% or more or settled for a, a much lower amount. So I'm not going to, I'm not saying this is going to happen for 3M, but like this has been the historical reality. So for me, I'm on the fence. On one side, I'm seeing a generational buying opportunity for a company that I'm confident is going to be around in 20 years uh, and likely still paying a healthy dividend. But on the other side, I'm seeing uncertainty everywhere, absolutely everywhere. But I think the biggest like understanding that a potential investor should have right now is that I don't think there's any urgency. Right. There's no urgency around you need to make a decision if you're going to buy or sell now. Like it's going to, you know, we've never seen this before. Let's all panic and go crazy. Like, I don't think there's any urgency around here. If you, it doesn't matter if you get into 5.2 or 5% or 5.5, I feel, I still think that the yield on the dividend is going to be great regardless of where you get in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a high level breakdown of, of this insane company with an insane potential opportunity if things get figured out. Daniel, I love you how you just put that. I love how you said it's an insane potential opportunity because that's exactly how I feel about this company as well after doing all of this research. Um, to kind of get things started, obviously, we like to look at the rating summary card from Seeking Alpha. So Josh, let's go to the next slide, just show people where everybody's at. Seeking Alpha authors have a hold on the stock. Wall Street analysts are a hold and our quant system is currently a hold as well. Let's look at the factor grades, Josh. Next slide. And you got the valuation at B minus, growth at an F profitability a plus momentum c minus and revisions are a c minus as well um josh let's go ahead and turn the slides off for a second now as you're talking about this litigation is like if this litigation did not exist 
people will be flooding into this stock. Oh my gosh. Right? If this wasn't a like, thing, people would be like calling their, their retired parents and say, do you want 5% yield? Like go jump on this company. Absolutely. Well, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a 5% yield at that point. Right. The only thing yes. that wall street is freaking out about when it comes to this company is this litigation case right now. This is the same thing as like a Johnson and Johnson with the, uh, the baby powder with the cancer and everything. Like it's, it's happened before and you just don't know the dollar amount that's going to come from the overall um, I mean, it might become class action. I'm not sure how they're going to do this, right? 230,000 people, right? Is that, isn't that what you said? 230,000. insane amount yep. of, I mean, and it comes to the, the earbuds, right? That they, they were combat ear protection that didn't work. And now people are experiencing hearing loss, a very significant uh, event for these people in their lives. Like, obviously this is a problem and it stinks for 3M as a company to have acquired this company back in 2008. But since you acquired it and you've been selling this product and you had your stamp of approval on it, you have to deal with the consequences. So when I was reading through all of this, I'm thinking, okay, well, what's, what else is going on, right? Sure, they have the litigation. But also, I was diving into the balance sheet and, and the structure of, of where revenues come from, right? International sales for this company are 20.3 billion, okay? And their grand their revenue for 2021 was something like 35 billion. So a significant amount of their sales are coming from overseas out of the states. What does that mean? Well, as the dollar continues to get stronger, their sales are going to continue to get weaker. And that's mm -hmm. something that also investors are keeping an eye on. Um, this company, as you had mentioned, 3M is in one of the biggest bear markets it's ever experienced as a personal company starting in 2018 around that whole tax cut infrastructure spending euphoria. Um, raw material costs are going up, right? Like there's, if, if you're talking about the Jamie Dimon hurricane of the economy, this company has its own specific hurricane Ian ripping through the company right now. And there seems to be a couple of years that this might play out. So is it investable right now? Would I get in for a trade right now? Probably not. I mean, if this is going to be taking three, four, five years, and you don't know the dollar amount of the payout for the litigation, even if raw materials come down, even if the dollar comes down, that could be $30 billion. That's an entire year worth of revenue. Now, granted, this company does have like $10 billion of like plans and manufacturing assets. Like if they do go solvent, there's that that they could, they could sell off. Um, also, I was diving in their treasury stock is actually sitting around 30 billion. So they could always reissue that stock. It would hurt shareholders, but it would let the company survive. So they have a few options. And I think right now with what you're seeing where they drop the dividend yield to growing only 1% a year right now is, oh, and no share, bear, uh, share buybacks. They just cut those as well. They suspended them. Um, might come back after the litigation, but all they're doing right now is playing defense because they, I feel like they don't know what the final payout amount is going to be either. Um, and obviously that's why the streets worry. That's why investors are worried. That's why people are getting out for us. As you mentioned, it could be the generational potential buying opportunity of our lifetimes. And we're looking at it right now, dead in the face, but there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, if I was recommending it to somebody, I'm not a personal owner of this, this company and in, in my portfolio, but if I was recommending it to somebody, I'd say, you know, take a very small position. Obviously, don't heavy yourself into it, but obviously think about that's going to be the industrial side of your portfolio, industrial side of the economy is getting hit right now. We all know this, um, but they have those products that have been around forever and they have the ability to spin some things off, sell some things off if they need to. I think the company might be around, but now we're just trying to figure out Okay, where are we going to be, you know, as a shareholder, are we going to be more diluted? Are we going to get that earnings that we're paying for right now? Um, what was that? The, the PE, you mentioned that, didn't you? 
Yeah, yeah I think the PE right now is, uh, let me grab it here. Uh, I think it was right around 11 times. 11 times? Yeah. Quick. Okay. So yeah, obviously, I mean, yeah, this... stocks trading at 11 times price to earnings right now versus the multi decade, literally 22 year average of 18 times, right? And their yeah. price to operating cash flow is at 10 times versus the 15 times multi decade average. So, like, I mean, this is clearly in, 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 in bear market territory, discount territory, like, like crazy. And I think to your point, though, of like, so here's how I'm thinking about it either this company gets hit with a 30, billion dollar something and it gets reduced to call it i don't know 10 billion and yeah somewhere that maybe 15 right but somewhere around 10 and they're growing their operating cash flow clear like clearly it's it's moving in the right direction i think between this year and next next or this year in 2024 it'll grow about a billion and a half billion eight maybe so like they're making more cash to pay down this kind of settlement um so I, I guess I'm not worried about the growth side and having the money to pay it, assuming it's going to get paid off over several years. But if you're a dividend growth investor, I don't think that this is the play, right? I don't think that 3M is going to continue to raise at that 5% Kager, assuming that they're also going to have to like pay off all this money, right? Right. So right. if you're just trying to park it and maybe nibble and, and kind of like keep up with it very closely... Um, sure, you know, maybe, you know, consider, a, you know, opening a starter position in the company. Um, lots of volatility ahead, just full, you know, full warning there. Every time you see something in the headlines about this litigation, the stock's going to do this, right? It's going to be up and down going crazy. No predictability at all. But if you're a dividend growth investor, I, I don't think that this is the play, right? I, I think if you're a dividend investor, I, I think, I mean, look, if you want to park your money somewhere safer, Think it's about something like the Noble ETF, right? The ProShares uh, ETF that you know diversify across dividend companies. The, the dividend yield on this thing might go higher just because the share price might go lower. Obviously, that's how it works. Um, but real quick, before we're we're kind of, I want to get to Lewis Stevens here in a second, but I want to take a second and just look at this chart real quick, um, just to get eyes on what is happening with 3M stock. Uh, wait, that is where are we? Uh, Josh, slide off for me. I'm gonna go to the chart. Thank you. So here we are with the chart. Obviously, I'm going I'm to back out to the monthly view. I mean, so this is obviously going back to, I mean, this is uh, 1984 Jeez, down here on the that. bottom left. This company had a stellar run. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, you know, one lawsuit can bring it all down. I mean, this kind of looks a little bit like a head and shoulders pattern, something to keep an eye on. If it, if it is, and this is your neckline right here, I mean, by standards of what a head and shoulders pattern playing out typically looks like, is from the neckline to the very top, which here is about 50%, 47%. So you can see a 47% drop, which would put you where if this is actually, if you believe the pattern. And like, look, patterns are patterns. They, they're pretty much telling you what psychologic behavior is going on underneath. But that brings you back down to like the 70s. And if you get down to the 70s, I mean, the dividend yield on this thing could shoot up 10, 11%, right? Uh, especially as they continue to grow. But it broke right through the 200 monthly moving average. Think about so that. That is where it's about like, that. We're going through it. <laughs> it went straight through. I mean, typically that is where you find some serious resistance over time because institutions like to buy. I mean, that's where you kind of get the institutional buying. But let's just go look at the one year, one day real quick. Obviously, we've seen some gaps back here that have filled. I mean, this thing has been tanking lately. I mean, there is no end in sight. All the moving averages are in a significant downtrend. I mean, look, you had a little bit of a gap from two days ago. That gap already filled. Now it's bouncing back around. Actually, that's a great point to point out right here. Let me just do that real quick. Because obviously, we always talk about the gap, right? So I'm looking at the gap here. 
And I go, okay, you know, two days ago we had the gap up and then we had the close. This thing reversed pretty much at the bottom of the gap, right? 80% of the time, once the gap fills, it changes direction. And that looks like exactly what we have going on here today. If we go in and look at, it. okay, it's a little bit shorter. It hit the 200 day. Um, this is the 30 minute time frame, by the way. Um, so, I mean, it, but it still saw the bounce. I mean, is it coincidence? Is it whatever? I don't know. I just look at the charts and tell you what the chart's doing and where the price and the volume moves afterwards. Um, so obviously I call that a gap fill that's moved on. Um, but this thing is just in a significant downtrend. I'm not sure I would be ready to touch it at these levels. Um, anything last to say on 3M, Austin? Be careful. That's all. Just be careful. There you go. That's a good take right there. Now, let's go ahead and get to our headliner joining us today. This is awesome, man. I'm glad he is taking the time to be a part of this Stock Market Live episode today. Lewis Stevens from Beating the Market is here to join us. We've got some things to break down with him. Lewis, there he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Obviously, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Um, Lewis, let's just kick things off. Why don't you go ahead and just tell people, obviously, your name's Lewis Stevens, but tell them a little bit about the service that you run over there on Seeking Alpha. Sure. Well, at the outset, I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the show so far, and it's always a good day uh, operating on the best investing platform on the internet that is Seeking Alpha. And Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I, I I genuinely believe it to be true. I, I genuinely believe it to, to be true. I, there are certainly other options out there, um, but I think Seeking Alpha has such a vibrant ecosystem and the comments section of the news flow of the articles alone is you know worth its weight in gold. A uh, lot of productive debate, a lot of bare theses, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, so love Seeking Alpha, grateful to be here. Um, and on Seeking Alpha, I operate Beating the Market, uh, and Beating the Market is a, an invest a subscription service focused on purchasing companies that uh, we will own for three, five, 10, 20, 30 years. You know, we want to own these companies forever. Um, so we look for, um, you know, basically templates um, from the most successful investments of all time, such as Walmart or um, Amazon or Lowe's or Home Depot or Starbucks, um, and we or you know there's a lot there's a, or AWS within Amazon. Um, that's just a few examples, and we apply those templates uh, alongside a lot of wisdom from you know the best investors of the 20th century to our to our uh, capital allocation strategies, and then we do nothing for very long periods of time. So that's beating the market in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss within all of that. Yeah, so I actually, I wanna get started with, you just put out an article just yesterday, I was reading it this morning about Okta, right? And Okta stock has been completely demolished. Actually, I'm gonna pull it up real quick just so everybody can see, I mean, I would love to hear your thesis on this and what you kind of laid out. I mean, this stock went from 24 to 294 and has been pulling back ever since, what is that, beginning of the year, maybe a little bit last uh, February. Um, what's going on with the stock right now? Why is it seeing such a significant retrace of these prices? Yeah, well, today, so today I wrote that we're going to discuss Okta for, I think it'll be discussed in 30 years. Like, I, I, I don't think that it can, I don't think that a company that has what amounts to a monopoly. Um, can you hear me? 
Yep, we can hear you. Yes, we got you. Uh, what, what amounts to, uh, at, at worst, I would call it a duopoly. Um, and I think it could be contended that it's close to a monopoly outside of Microsoft's uh, product. But, you know, Microsoft competes with virtually every single company under the sun from uh, the trade desk to Cloudflare to uh, Sentinel One, right? Um, to Slack, to Salesforce, right? Microsoft competes with everyone. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's in an extremely dominant position within its industry. Um, I, I you know I, I want to keep it concise because there's there's literally so much I could say about it. Um, but I, I think the, Lewis what would be really beneficial too, and not to interrupt you, but I, I've read a lot of your research, and you do a really good job of walking people through a bunch of different sort of factors that you consider before investing, right? The management team, the, the total addressable market, like things of that nature, right? So like, do you mind walking us through maybe what some of those factors are and like why they're so important for everyday investors to consider before they might open a position in a company they're excited about? Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I think there's, there's, okay. So there's, there's a variety of templates um, as I mentioned uh, that are very useful in discerning what what will be a successful investment, right? And um, the last time I was on this call, on this uh, on this show, I, I walked through one of them, um, which is the idea that you know a a a new entrant into a market or an industry will build a product that is you know far superior to all of the products within the industry. Um, and that new entrant will go into this industry and that, that, that industry is also highly, often highly fragmented. There's a lot of competition. The competition's product is, um, pretty weak. You know, it was invented maybe three or four decades ago. The founders have long left. It, it's basically just a cash flow, uh, producing asset, you know, Lots of times it might just be owned by private equity firms who are literally looking at it as um, a discounted cash flow, you know, net present value formula. Like, you know, they came straight out of uh, Wharton Business School into PE and, and they're taking these giant companies, uh, these giant public companies uh, private or they're buying uh, private companies and just feasting on their cash flows. So these don't, these are, and, and, and the customers just have them by sheer inertia. Um, so, you know, these don't represent like real competitive threats. And that's certainly the case with Okta, what, it's, what it ultimately is really competing against outside of Microsoft, um, especially in light of SailPoint and Ping getting, well, Ping likely will be acquired and SailPoint was recently acquired uh, by Tama Bravo. But a company like Okta will go into, um, a, a very fragmented, low net promoter score, highly competed industry with a 10x, quote unquote, a superior product to what's being offered. Um, and it will start capturing customers within that industry. Um, and then over time, a company like Okta, that new entrant will continue to add new products on top of its you know, uh, initial superior product. And will, it will continue to capture market share. And, and over time, it will grow into something close to a monopoly, right? Lowe's did this throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s um, with the you know, home building supply chain, home building industry. 
Walmart did this with groceries. Um, Amazon's kind of still doing this with e-commerce. Um, and you know, we see the same dynamics unfolding for Okta, where it started with single sign-on. Its competition was mostly legacy uh, identity solutions and or custom-built identity solutions, which you know, as soon as the IT team leaves, um, that's basically you know a a uh, house of cards waiting to collapse the the IT team that custom built it. Um, so we see this with Okta, where it started with single sign-on, and it's captured huge market share uh, as this cloud identity platform. And now it's building out all of these new uh, offerings, such as uh, PAM. These are these are abbreviations, but PAM, um, IGA, uh, and CIAM, SIAM. Um, and you know, I, I think you look back on how the market treated Okta in the 2010s, right? The market acknowledged that it was a far superior product consuming market share in a highly fragmented industry with a low net promoter score for, with attached to the solutions within this highly fragmented industry. Um, and, and the market saw that it was consuming market share at a rapid pace, right? It, it Over the last three or four years, it's gone from 400 million sales to trailing 12 months as of October 5th today, about 1.8 billion, right? It's grown extraordinarily fast. Um, it represents what amounts in my estimation to a monopoly with, within the industry, quote unquote, um, um, with, you know, Microsoft being its its primary competitor, but Microsoft has been in the industry since 2014, and Okta has, as I just mentioned, grown its sales from 400 million to 1.8 billion in the span of just a few years. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know this, so so this is kind of the the template that we apply to every company we buy, and I think um, I'm I, I'm just going to share a couple more thoughts here, but I, I think. You know, we look at Adyen or Okta or Affirm or even Amazon, you know, a larger kind of safer company. Across the board, we see these companies executing this strategy as well as a couple other kind of templates that we employ. Um, and, you know, these companies are, are really the strongest they have ever been in their corporate histories. Okta included, you know, Okta is experiencing non-linearity non in its business. It's, ha it's having execution issues. Objectively, there are issues within the company right now, um, but there's no company on earth that will not go through a period where there are issues, right? I, I hate to use the example, but 3M's a great example. 3M's a great example. I, I think that's slightly more existential, but I think you guys painted a compelling picture of it being far less existential than what the market is pricing in currently. Um, but, you know, and, and to give the viewers a little bit of uh, caution there, you know, you look at the uh, California wildfires, or the, the camp campfire or whatever, and, and uh, the role that uh, PG&E, whatever mm -hmm. the, the, the utility company that played, that was somewhat culpable in that, uh, you know, I, I was considering that as like a, a potential turnaround when, uh, maybe five years ago. I never ended up pulling the trigger, but, I, you know, uh, it did not turn around, to say the least. And it's, I think today it might actually be a good investment. And I've actually seen some 
uh, very large hedge funds purchasing it, like uh, Dan Loeb's third point, I believe, is start has been accumulating it through this year now after its 90% decline. Um, so that's a kind of a cautionary tale in terms of these turnaround stories. Um, but I don't think Okta is near, there's, there's no, there's no, you know, multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit being filed against Okta, nor Adyen, nor Amazon, nor, you know, basically any of these, these companies that we focus on that are kind of executing this, this strategy where they bring a superior product to a very fragmented, highly competed market and consume market share over time. You know, we're seeing these companies in, in their strongest state they've ever been. With Okta, it, it's somewhat an exception here because objectively they have mismanaged the business on some to some degree. Um, but if you look at the products that Okta has fielded, you look at their product roadmap, which isn't in the future, it's happening right now. Like they're they're executing it. They have the products in the market. For instance, their IGA product, uh, identity governance and administration. And um, you know, the, the business is certainly, you know, from, from a product perspective, the strongest it's ever been in its history. Um, and it trades at 5.5 enterprise, you know, basically 5.5 times enterprise value to sales. Um, but I'll conclude with this. I'll punctuate all of these thoughts. You know, what, something fun or, or uh, it's been fun for me. That this, this, I'm writing this series called The Greatest Irony. And The Greatest Irony is that so many businesses are stronger than they have ever been. And I understand the, the Great Depression is just on the horizon, which I say flippantly. You know, who knows what ultimately, I have a macro take, but I think everybody's macro take, uh, it, you know, is like their, everyone's opinion, right? We all have one and they, they aren't all great. I, I think I messed that up, but um, it, in an attempt to be uh, polite about the whole thing, I, I didn't say that phrase exactly, but correctly, but, um, you know, what I've been, what I've been enjoying doing is looking back at what the market thought was, what did the market say about the best companies of the 2010s? What, what did the market identify? Because the market often has good points. Not always, but the market can have some good points. What companies were the best companies to own in the 2010s, um, according to the market? And I think Okta was one of them. You know, it traded sustainably. It, it wasn't just 2020. It wasn't just 2021. I mean, it was from 2017 to late 2021, Okta traded from uh, between basically it IPO'd at about 15 times enterprise value of sales, but really the majority of its time as a public company it spent at 20 times enterprise value of sales to 50 times enterprise value of sales. And for good reason, you look at how dominant the platform is, you look at the product roadmap, you look at you know, the technologists at the helm and it's evident they have they, they have what amounts to um, something very close to a monopoly in the identity, the cloud-based identity market, with the exception of, of Microsoft's uh, offering, but you know, Microsoft competes against everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, Lewis, the market Lewis, I want to jump in here. So just to break it down, so you're talking about companies' mismanagement. The stock's probably getting hit as well from the overall market compression of the multiples being lowered over time, whether you know it's it's the bond market freaking out or whatever it might be, or maybe that is this company within the IT sector, obviously information technology is being hit first and hardest because that's typically how it goes. 
Um, kind of curious though, because EV sales, you, you're talking about, yeah, it's, it's five and a half times EV sales right now, but the overall sector median for information technology is 2.5. So it still seems a little bit elevated. So from this position right now, where the stock's at $58 a share, um, I mean, is this where people should start their positions if they don't have one, if we're talking 10 years in the future? I appreciate all of those points. So let, let me, I almost want to have you remind me what you, because each each statement was very thought-provoking. So number one, um, information technology. What is information technology? I call it 1.5 trillion, right? Five companies over the last 30 years have gone from about $10 billion in sales to 1.5 trillion. Five companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Alphabet, and Meta. Just five companies, $1.5 trillion. So don't buy tech, don't buy tech, right? Not everybody, a lot, a lot of VCs made a lot of money there and public investors didn't quite make as much. They kind of did. Microsoft and Amazon and Apple created unbelievable wealth for, for investors. But this idea, don't buy tech, don't buy tech. Oh, well, here's my response, $1.5 trillion, right? Five companies, that's only five. Because it gets in, it gets much larger when we start thinking about Oracle and Salesforce, and we start looking thinking about all these private companies, Trend Micro, right? Uh, let you know Alibaba, JD. You know the the I don't we don't invest in uh, CC purview companies, but I I I say it flippantly because I I, I you know, but it's it's incredible. You know, it's a part of the series that I'm writing, The Greatest Irony. It's incredible that. This industry that has created arguably more wealth than any other industry over the last 30 years is now being hit the hardest. It really is the greatest irony. So I just, I, I, I want to share that because I think it contextualizes the experiences. I think a lot, I think there's a lot of PTSD from the dot-com bubble. I think technology is, can be very challenging to invest in, right? I've studied Okta for years and I'm still learning more about the company. Every time I review it, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't really fully understand that. Now I get that aspect. And it's taken years to really reach that point. Um, so I understand, you know, why information technology would sell off, but it also is, is you know, the great irony in my, in my opinion, because it, it will continue. I, I'm with almost unequivocal certainty, information technology may not be Okta. Okta may have catastrophic issues with management. That may be the case in the same way that 3M offers huge upside, but there's, you know, real risks. Um, but right, the information technology space is going to continue to proliferate, and, and it's likely only going to accelerate. Um, and then valuation multiples in the space. This was a big point that I, I touched on in, in my review of Okta, right? Sale point. It, it offers only an IGA product. Okta offers single sign-on, IGA, PAM, SIAM, an entire uh, an entire platform of identity solutions. You know, think Microsoft for all of so software. You know, you can go to Microsoft and you can completely outfit your, you know, global two thousand company. You know, one company within the global two thousand with everything you need from security to communications, everything you can do that with Microsoft. You can go to Okta and outfit your entire company for the most part, there might be some gaps here that I'm missing, but they have a holistic platform for identity solutions. And that's, you know, Okta within this, within this niche. Um, so SailPoint was just acquired by Tama Bravo. They, they, Tama Bravo is a highly reputable, reputable um, private equity firm 
that takes undervalued public companies, private often does, and then sometimes it spins them off like it did Dynatrace. Um, and it just acquired SailPoint at annualizing Q2's revenue. So multiplying Q2's revenue, SailPoint's Q2 revenue by, by four, annualized 13.2 times Q2 annualized revenue. Currently, Okta trades at 5.2 times annualized revenue. And, and IGA is just one product that Okta offers. Mm. And it's going to offer a, you know, either the best IGA product. It's, it's still relatively new. Uh, as, as I discussed, it, Okta has been evolving its product offering over the last five years. But its IGA product will likely reach, you know, the top of the Gartner charts over the next three to five years, right? SailPoint's growing at, it grew at 31% with uh, $130 million in revenue in Q2. Okta generated $450 million and grew at 43%. And it trades at less than half sales, sale point, sale points multiple. So that, I mean, that just, you know, it, that really blew my mind. Like, that was one of the yeah. things that I really- It's a compelling with. point. And, it but it doesn't is. stop there. So there's an, I, I'm sorry, it doesn't stop there. It really is incredible. So Ping, Ping Identity is a company I've studied over the last couple of years. Um, and basically the conclusion we reached was Ping's a fine company, but Okta is the 800 pound gorilla here. Don't touch Ping. This is not Coke versus Pepsi. This is, um, you know, Amazon versus whatever Walmart's e-commerce platform is. It's a non-existent. Shots right? fired. Just, yeah, well, you know, with all due respect to Walmart, I, I think yeah. Walmart's one of, if, you know, for our listeners, you know, my goal is to create as much value for you. I, I think studying Walmart is one of the most incredible things you can do as an investor founded in 1962. Um, and basically it stopped generating returns by 2000. Uh, but why did it create such immense wealth from 1962 to 2000? And then why has it stopped generating wealth from 2002 today? Those two questions, you know, go out there and, and ask that. I won't get into it today. Um, Walmart's just a phenomenal, it's, it's such a fascinating company. It, and it's been so important to my, to my investing uh, uh, growth journey. That's but, awesome, um, man. Austin, I wanted so, to jump in. Sorry to jump. We're gonna yeah. we're we're getting towards the end of our show here. Austin, I want oh, to see okay. if you had a quick question for Lewis before we let him go. We're obviously taking way too much of his time. So, Austin, anything from your side? No, I think he did a really good job answering sort of his approach on on how he thinks about investing in new companies, right? Finding those fragmented markets, and then who are those new entrants that are absolutely disrupting what the status quo is today, and how are they after they disrupt that, add on the new products on top of that, right? I think he did a really good job explaining that with Octa. So I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Uh, huge fan of your work, and it's uh, it's a privilege to sit down with you. Thank you for saying yeah, that. That was better than I did on, on, on the No, you did great. You did great. Lewis, I got to ask Thank you, you. If, if people want to find you, where can they find you besides beating the market? Um, well, Twitter. He's a great Twitter follower. Twitter? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've, Podcasts? I've, uh, I've been so focused on beating the market. Go. I've just, I've been working so hard with them beating the market to give our community just the absolute best I can during this time where I think, like Warren Buffett said, you know, the economic skies get dark and gold starts raining. There's a two week free trial. Um, and I, I would genuinely be doing this for free. I love it so much. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, relentlessly serving my community during this time um, where I think, 
you know, there really is exceptional opportunity out there. Um, like 3M, not everything is going to be, you know, the smashing success. Uh, there's so many things down 50, 50 to 90%, like 3M, uh, I think it's down 50%. Not everything's going to work out perfectly, but there will be this, this is, a, you know, this is the best time to be considering investing, in my opinion, since the Great Recession. And, and it's a special time to invest. And, and yeah, check us out. Yeah. Green Market on Seeking Alpha, the best investing website on the internet. And uh, thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us, Lewis. This was awesome. It was great having you on the show. Everyone, go make sure you check out Lewis Stevens. He is an excellent, excellent writer. He really breaks down his research. Uh, I enjoy reading it. That's just me. Um, I'm sure you will as well. Remember, like he said, he has a two-week free trial for the service. Um, So go check it out. And uh, you can also chat with him within the service, which is awesome. So, Lewis, thanks for joining us today, man. Really appreciate it. All right, everyone, we're about to get on out of here. Thanks for joining us today. Obviously, if you have any stock recommendations that you want us to dive into, stockmarketlive at seekingalpha.com. We'll Send see you them, also. please. I want to see them. I, wa- I want someone to g- give a stock idea like 3M where I had to dig deep, man. I want to find that next idea. I want someone to say, Austin, look at this. Talk to me John's about this John's over one. here in the chat saying General Electric, another industrial conglomerate. I mean, that's the mm. thing. Just like you said, this 3M, I went down the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. And then trying oh, to yeah. like figure out what's going on with this litigation, what's going on with the financials. How has this company been around forever? I mean... They've acquired so many great companies. They innovate like like crazy. Um, just like we were talking about with Micron, right? My, Micron with all their patents, 3M with all of their patents. I mean, geez, Louise, that company is a beast. I hope this litigation figures out soon because I'm going to keep an eye on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like we're getting a lot of suggestions here in the chat. So I, uh, I, got, I got some work ahead of me, Daniel. We have some work. We'll definitely uh, discuss on our end before we uh, come back with the war chest. For next week's episode, Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We appreciate you. And we'll see you again next week. All right, Josh, get us on out of here. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, Josh. <laughs>